0: Let's dive into the story of David's census. And I'm not going to read through the story, there's too much to cover. I'm just going to summarize it here briefly. King David, a long time ago, towards the end of his reign, decided to have a census. The census started, and even before the census was over, it was very evident that God was very displeased with what happened. As a result, a plague broke out and thousands of people died. Eventually, the plague was stopped. um, And at the spot that it was stopped at, uh, if my memory serves me correctly, that spot later on went to be the spot where the temple was built. But in this story, there are a number of questions. Uh, Questions like, did innocent people suffer because of David's poor choice? Uh, Questions like, What was wrong with the census? Uh, and, And what can we learn about this? Questions like, who was guilty? Was David really the only one who was guilty? And then the question, who really incited the census? And I'm going to put some verses here up on the screen. The story is told in two parallel passages, two different accounts. 2 Samuel 24, verse 1, and it says this, "...and the anger of the Lord was kindled against whom?" Let's try that one more time. Against whom? Israel. And he incited David against them, saying, go, number Israel and Judah. 2 Samuel chapter 24 says God incited or prodded or got David to do the census, which kind of raises an interesting question. Why would you punish someone for that which you kind of spurred along. Kind of an interesting thought. And then the parallel account, 1 Chronicles 21, verse 1, it says, Then, who? Satan stood against Israel and incited David to number Israel. And for some, these kinds of differences can be quite troubling. How are we to understand these passages? Well, there's a variety of ways that this story in particular has been understood. And the critical scholars, the ones who don't necessarily even believe the Bible was inspired, they would say something like this, which is called a redactional approach. They would say, since First and Second Chronicles were written much later, probably post-exile, um, that they didn't like what was written earlier, theologically, in 1 Samuel, and so they just changed it, because they didn't like it. Now, that's one way of looking at, what the Bible has. And that's one way of trying to resolve things. If you don't like it, you just say, well, we don't really believe this happened anyways. But there are actually a lot of other much better explanations, in my opinion. And one of them is that this is an example of progressive revelation. Does God reveal all truth to humanity all at once? Or does he reveal step by step? And in many cases in the Bible, we have examples of progressive revelation. Jesus came and revealed much more clearly God. Uh, But we still had good evidence and good um, indications about who God was from the Old Testament. And so some say the story in 1 Samuel presents an account uh, where God uh, takes the credit, Uh, and then in First and Second Chronicles, we see later on more light was revealed. And this could be a possibility. But I prefer the explanation that Gregory Boyd, in his book, God at War, gives. And he says these stories are simply two different perspectives of the same account. You'll recall in the Gospels that sometimes there are differences. Well, was there one demoniac or was there two guys there? And it's very possible that one Gospel author was simply focusing on the one, the main demoniac, and then the other Gospel author noted that there were two. And so neither one is contradictory. They're just different accounts. And Gregory Boyd says it's possible that God's desire and Satan's desire came into surprising alignment in this story. Now that may sound a little bit strange, and provocative, but let me explain to you what I mean. In the verse we already saw in 2 Samuel chapter 24, it says the Lord was angry with Israel and then he incited David to do the the census. So there already was some sort of pre-existing guilt that was occurring and God, when he loves us and because he loves us, he wants to correct us. A loving God, sometimes the only resource available because they haven't, we haven't listened to his direct warnings through the prophets, sometimes what God has to do is allow disaster. And so Gregory Boyd says, it appears as though God saw that Israel in some way had fallen into sin and he needed to correct them. And being Thick headed like most of us are, sometimes we have to learn through the school of hard knocks, as it were. And so, how was God going to accomplish this? Well, through some sort of disaster. Well, Satan is always wanting to bring about disaster. And so, God permitted Satan to go about doing um, the, the inciting. Now, this is interesting, especially when you look. Uh, and understand that in the Hebrew mindset, what God permits, he is considered to have committed. So when it says that God incited David, in the Hebrew mindset, it's perfectly legitimate for us to understand that as simply saying, God allowed David to be incited. Uh, Whatever God permits, he also commits. Um, And this is very clear. The Hebrews, according to Walter Kaiser, we're not very concerned with determining secondary causes and properly attributing them to the exact cause. If God allows something, well, then it came from God. Whether or not God was the active person involved. And I mean, in a sense, we understand this too because we talk today about God's perfect will and his permissive will. Have you heard those phrases before? God's perfect will is for... Everyone to be saved and healthy and blessed and happy. But because of free will, because of sin, because of our choices, God's perfect will isn't achieved here in this world. But then there are things that are part of God's permissive will in the sense that God didn't stop them. There are tragedies that have happened in our church family. We wouldn't say that they were a part of God's perfect will. You think about the people that we've lost, that have died recently. That wasn't, I don't think, a part of God's perfect plan for that to happen. But God allowed it, so in a sense, it was a part of God's permissive will. Now notice this, we'll see this more clearly. I'm going to put another verse up on the screen. We said that God and Satan are attributed as inciting the census. Notice here, we're going to see the same word, story of Job, And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? He still holds fast his integrity, although you incited me against him to destroy him without reason. So, from Job's perspective, who was doing all the bad stuff? It was coming from God, from Job's perspective, because he didn't know that Satan had been permitted to do all these things. And and Job said, though he slay me, still I will follow him or serve him, praise him. And so here we see God using that same word inciting. God is saying to Satan, you've incited me against him. But in reality, Satan was the one doing all the evil, but God was permitting it in this case. Do you see what we're talking about here? So here is an example where God allowed something and then also took the blame for it as well. God as the ultimate creator allowed this. And we can think about other examples Babylon was a tool in the hand of God at times to bring about punishment on his people with the goal of redemption and correction. Or what about Jesus on the cross? To to save the world, Jesus died at the hands of humanity, inspired by Satan. Little did they know While they were nailing Christ to the cross, they were accomplishing God's purpose. And so as we think about the story with the two different accounts, there's really no contradiction. God allowed Satan to do evil against Israel. Satan's always wanted to do evil against Israel. But he allowed it because Israel needed some correction, apparently. Okay, so what was wrong with the census? You know, when I first started studying this story, I thought the Bible said, thou shalt not take a census. Not in as many words, but that's honestly what I thought. But as I studied it, I realized, oh, actually there's nothing wrong with a census if you do it in the right way. Exodus chapter 30 talks about how you're supposed to do the census, the purpose of the census. Uh, it's, you, you give a ransom for your life when you're counted in the census, like um, in shekels. And it reminded the people, even though they're counting themselves for war or for taxation purposes, God is the one who is the source of our strength, our salvation. Our life itself depends upon God. So if you do a census, just do it in the right way. And so some suggested, well, David and Israel were punished because they didn't do the census in the right way. But there's really no evidence of this. In fact, there are other censuses. Uh, examples in the Bible where there's no explicit instructions about them following uh, the instructions. There's no description of them. So that doesn't seem to quite make sense. What actually helps explain this is the words of Joab. Joab was the commander for David, and he was a bloody man. He was a man who'd fought a lot of battles and done a lot of bad things. But Joab, from his own words, we get a sense that it wasn't the method of the census, but rather the motives for the census that were faulty. I invite you uh, just to turn there to 1 Chronicles chapter 21, verse 3. We'll look at just a couple of verses here. 1 Chronicles chapter 21. Joab is going to help explain this for us. 1 Chronicles chapter 21, verse 3. We'll back it up to verse 2 there. We already read verse 1 earlier on the screen. Verse 2 says, So David said to Joab, to the leaders of the people, Go, number Israel from Beersheba to Dan, and bring the number to them that I may know it. And Joab answered, May the Lord make his people a hundred times more than they are. But my Lord, the king... Are they not all my Lord's servants? Why then does my Lord require this thing? Why should he be a cause of guilt in Israel? This crusty, old, war-wounded general, Joab, recognized from the outset there was something wrong about the census. He didn't say, O king, let's just make sure we take the shekels and the ransom for the light and we follow the instructions of Exodus 30. He didn't say that. He just said, Why bring guilt? Doesn't everybody serve you already? Remember, we talked about it's either the method or the motives. Joab is seeming to get at the motives here. Why? Why are you doing this? And there are really only two reasons for a census. Military purposes or taxation purposes. Now, at this point in the reign of David, this was at the later end of the reign, David's territory was big. It was big. It went from the borders of Egypt to the banks of the Euphrates and to the northernmost reaches of Syria. God had blessed him with a lot of territory. And so Joab found it odd that David would want to count his army because that implied that he might want to use his army to go get more territory. To get more people to bring under his kingdom. And so Joab says, may the Lord make his people a hundred times more. I pray that God will expand your boundaries. But why do this thing? He sensed that there was something going on. And notice this. This is interesting. I did my studies and then I consulted Ellen White. I didn't want to Uh, I wanted to go to the Bible first, as we're told, and then go check and see what she had to say. And check out what I read after I'd been doing my studies. We'll put it up here on the screen. A quote from Ellen White. Okay, this is from Patriarchs and Prophets. We'll see if we can get this one up on the screen. It says this, with a view to extending his conquests among foreign nations, David determined to increase his army by requiring military service from all people who were of proper age. David wasn't content with what God had given him, he wanted more. And you know, Ellen White's not the only one to recognize these things. Walter Kaiser, this awesome book, The Hard Sayings of the Bible, really good book. For some of these confusing Bible verses. He said this, the best solution is that it was motivated by presumption, the census. God had given David no object or reason to go out to battle. Only David's pride and ambition could have brought on such an act. Ellen White recognizes it. Walter Kaiser recognizes it. They're not the only ones, though. Kiel and Delich, or however you say that last name, five consonants in a row, the true kernel of David's sin was to be found, no doubt, in what? Self-exaltation. Is this not great Babylon that I have built? Wasn't just a problem. That prideful ideology that was the downfall of Nebuchadnezzar earlier was a downfall and a snare to David, We'll put one more quote up here. Gleason Archer. More likely, he says, it was self-congratulatory pride in his achievements as a military genius and in the prosperity that the entire kingdom had attained under his leadership. So perhaps he wanted to number the army just so he could see how powerful he was, how strong he had grown, And there's actually a clue, now you may not see it in your English Bible, but if you're still in 1 Chronicles chapter 21, in Hebrew, it starts with the word and. Uh, There's this conjunction. Conjunctions put two things together, combine two things. And so it's intended for you to read before. And when you read before, end of chapter 20, you see about, again, military... Greatness. Successes. Things that happened by the hand of David. And so one commentator pointed to this saying there's almost this idea that runs along as you read the text in context. It flows from an attitude of success and then David wants to just find out just how successful he is and perhaps extend his boundaries. Even further. In the book, uh, The Books of Samuel, page 504, the authors wrote Joab evidently saw through the king's intention and perceived that numbering the people could not be of any essential advantage to David's government. Are you starting to get a little bit bigger picture here? It wasn't that the act of counting was wrong but the spirit that motivated the counting, which was wrong. Why did Lucifer fall from heaven? Largely because he was filled with pride. This pride grew, and then he just wanted more and more power. There's some powerful lessons in this story for any of us. You don't have to be a king to be at risk for the same temptation as David. So 2 Samuel 24 already told us that that God was angry with Israel. And I looked up every instance of that exact phrase, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. It's usually used in the context of Israel going after and serving idols and worshiping other gods. But there's no evidence that they were doing that in this passage unless it was the idol the idol, and the idolatry of self. Because when we start bowing down to how great we are and how self-sufficient we are apart from God, it has the same effect as if we were bowing down to an image, to an idol. Was David alone involved in these feelings, or did others in his kingdom possess the same feelings? Check this out. I'm going to put another quote uh, up on the screen for you. Patriarchs and Prophets, page 746. It was pride and ambition that prompted this action of the king. The numbering of the people would show the contrast between the weakness of the kingdom when David ascended to the throne and its strength and prosperity under his rule. This would tend to still foster the already too great self-confidence of both king and who? People. So this was a dangerous act. As a leader, because it would lead his people into these same kinds of uh, feelings. But notice later on, a few pages later, she said the people had themselves cherished the same sins that prompted David's action. It wasn't only David who was guilty of pride and this, this harmful self-sufficiency. The people also We're guilty. Are you ever guilty of that? "Ah, That's okay, God. I got this one. You helped me yesterday, but I got it today. Now, obviously, God wants us to be autonomous people who are able to function and not be codependent in society and so forth, but we're always supposed to be dependent on God. Jesus said, I, on my own, can do nothing. He was relying He had relinquished the powers of divinity and was relying only on what was given to him by God. Are we guilty of this ourselves? I think I have one more quotation here. Yeah, Gleason Archer again. Not only Ellen White recognizes this, but notice what he says. It is a mistake to assume that David's countrymen were not also involved in the same attitude of pride. Unfortunately, as the leader goes, often do the people as well. And so apparently, and remember already before the inciting of the census, before that happened, it says God was angry. God was upset. Not because God is an unloving God. Not because God is a God that we need to be afraid of. Our God is so loving. He loves us more than we love ourselves. And he'll do anything to save us. And sometimes the only thing that will save us is very painful. Painful for us and painful for God. Did your parents ever say, this hurts me more than it hurts you? I don't know if my parents ever said that. I, I was really compliant. Not that I'm a great person. It just, if, if, the, if I knew my parents were disappointed, that hurt me and that was good enough. I maybe had a couple of times when, I mean, I surely had to go to my room a whole bunch. But I didn't need much in the way of spankings to, to correct me. But when parents say, this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you, if they're a loving parent, they really mean it. And so you've got to believe, as you read these stories, this hurt God more than it hurt the people. And the unique thing about God is when he brings and allows punishment and judgment upon people, he's able to still raise those people back up again, uh, theoretically, on the last day. If there are innocent people who perish, God can fix that and make it all right in the kingdom. A lot of people are troubled by the story of the flood. Presumably, there were infants that died in the flood. We have a loving God who's trying to save as many people as he can. And if those infants were safe to save, then you better believe it. They're going to grow up in heaven. Uh, And they'll have a better life than they would have had under the wicked parents, where the, the thoughts and the intents of the hearts were only evil continually in those days. So where does this leave us? Let's summarize where we've been so far before we wrap it up. David did a census. Who incited it? Well, Satan and God allowed it and thereby also took partial credit for it. Why did this happen? Well, we live in a world of free choices. God allowed it. uh, But there was something that was going on in the nation that was so dangerous that God needed to allow uh, intense correction to happen. And the plague that broke out and all of the The difficulties that came were because of the sin of David and also it appears the sin of the people that shared in this same uh, sin. Now it is true that sometimes people get caught in the crossfires uh, and there are innocent people that suffer because of the mistakes of other people. But the good news is we have a loving God who will do anything to try to save us. And it's interesting to note, even in this story, if you're still in 1 Chronicles 21, go to verse 13. David, even in the midst of the agony of this plague that was breaking out and causing immense destruction, David noted something very important for us to remember. 1 Chronicles 21, verse 13. And David said to Gad, I am in great distress. Please let me fall into the hand of the Lord, for his mercies are very great. But do not let me fall into the hand of man. David, who lived in this time when he was actively being punished for his sin and the people as well for their sin, he recognized We serve a really merciful God. And I'd rather fall into his hands than into the hands of anybody else. So it's a complex story. But I don't believe we have uh, contradictory accounts. I believe when properly understood, we see the harmony of the scriptures. We see a God who, as much as it pained him, uh, it was more important to correct the people. uh, Because eventually out of David's lineage, was going to be born who? Jesus, the Messiah, was going to be born, and they had to preserve and protect that line so that Jesus could save everybody and fix everything someday. So what can we learn for ourselves? Well, we're not going to learn that counting is bad, but we can learn that we've got to be careful of our motives. We've got to be so careful. What are our motives for doing things? Are we allowing ourselves to be filled with pride and complacency and this unhealthy self-reliance apart from God? If so, we're falling into the same trap that David and the people fell into. My prayer is that stories like this will just remind us, stay close to God. Don't take his blessings for granted. Don't relax our spiritual guard. Keep ourselves close and dedicated to God, trusting in him and so grateful for all of his blessings. So someday, we'll be among that great multitude that Revelation speaks about. Which, by the way, it says no one can number. I want to be a part of that multitude, but how about you? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, We don't always understand all the details in your word. But the more I study it, just the more convinced I am that you're a good God. You love us with an everlasting love. And even when you have to punish us, Lord, we we know it's out of love. Father, help us to listen to correction so that we don't have to um, go to the school of hard knocks this week. Help us to stay close to you. And when we're tempted to think that we're the ones who've done something and that we we don't need you. Bring us back, Lord. Humble us before it's too late. We look forward to being with you today, tomorrow, each day, and we look forward to being with you forever in that earth made new. Thank you, Jesus. In your name. Amen. God bless you. We will see you next week.
1: Still hears. As he learns and as he grows, may Desmond always know that Jesus is watching over.